Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. Alright, so I mean, I was already a little excited for this one, but then I got more excited because we both went through this pretty well a few days beforehand. Yeah. So like, we weren't like, I didn't feel like we were at all rushing. Mm -mm. And I just... I'm a fan. (laughs) I'm just a fan of our notes came out this time. (laughs) They're always great, but I like this one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's going to be smoother than the last one, but that's also because we didn't really know what we were going into. No idea. Going in blind. There's going to be one like that in the future too. That'll be chaos. And (laughs) I think we'll figure it out as we go. Okay, so this week, we wanted to talk about something that we have frequently touched on, but we've never ended up going too far in depth into, and that would be parables. So the word with and without the S on the end, parable and parables, appears nearly 50 times in the Gospels. That's insane. Yeah, 50 in the Gospels, which means just just the four books. Yeah. Like... I saw this and I was like, that's not right. And then I was like, but I can see that happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because like we know that that's how the Savior taught during his ministry. But like, I guess it just didn't click for me that it would be hyper focused in the New Testament only. Because for me, like I was looking through my research at like parables in all of the scriptures, and it was really hard to find a parable outside of the New Testament. You might find like three or four in the Book of Mormon, but like the bulk of the ones you find in the Book of Mormon are the same ones you find in the New Testament. Pretty much, yeah. And then like in the Old Testament, it was really hard or they're like really obscure and you're like, I don't understand this. And it was confusing well that and then there's a few points where it's like is this a history or is this a story that's supposed to be a parable yeah which then adds on another layer of confusion exactly so i know it did overwhelm me at first but then i was like okay it's the four gospels but they're basically telling telling the same story in different ways Mm -hmm. so i was just like okay so even if christ told like 10 parables that's not really that much you know, yeah. and it's just getting mentioned like a couple of times every time. So, yeah. but, but yeah, 50 times. It's very prevalent. It's, it's there. It's important. It's wild. We know that we've included them in our past episodes, especially in our, like, I would say the last five or six this season, we've probably talked about parables a lot, but today we wanted to explore them a little further talk about what they are, what they mean, and specifically how we can relate these parables to us today. Because sometimes we tend to think like, oh, well, this was meant for the Jews and the Gentiles back in Jesus's time. When in reality, parables are meant for us today too. So we need to learn and understand how to apply them better to our lives in 2021. 
Beautiful, exactly. So as you all know, I love my stories. I love my analogies. And parables are right in the mix there. They really help us to empathize and understand lessons and experiences. So stories like parables have been used throughout humanity's existence to convey truth and morals in a memorable way. So Jesus didn't invent the concept of parables, but he did a very good job in basically perfecting what a parable is. So what exactly is a parable? We decide to explore and go over a few different definitions. Pulled from an article, Eight Reasons Jesus Preached in Parables in the Mountain Eagle, it reads, A similitude, a symbolic, fictitious narrative of common life conveying a moral. On the LDS org website under parable, it reads that a parable is a simple story used to illustrate and teach a spiritual truth or principle. On the same page, it also says, based on comparing an ordinary object or event to a truth with the underlying meaning or message of the parable is often hidden to listeners who are not spiritually prepared to receive it. And then one last definition from yourdictionary.com reads, A parable is a short, fictitious story that is presented to teach a religious principle, simple truth, or moral lesson. So, hopefully, through those four definitions, you could see a common theme. It's a story conveying morals in a religious, somewhat manner. There's always a lesson involved somehow. It's never just a story. So now, in... Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 through 16, we learn why Jesus Christ taught in parables. So Christ explained, quote, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. End quote. To explain this further and to make it clearer, Christ spoke in parables partially to confound the wise or those whose hearts were hardened to the gospel and to Christ's ministry. And the other way was so that people that had the ears to hear and eyes to see the gospel would be able to understand the doctrinal principles that he was sharing in these parables. If you hear the story of like, what is it, like the wheat and the tares, one person's going to hear it and be like, wow, what a great story about farming and like go on about their day. <laughs> and then uh-huh. if you've heard this story before, you know, oh, okay. So the chaff in the whirlwind is like those people who just kind of float along and don't have any, not like value, but like no spiritual knowledge and don't have any depth and don't have anything like they're just a waste of your time essentially. And the wheat is the grain and what you need. And so, of course, that's going to come down and you're going to know what's good and what's not and that sort of thing. So Christ was teaching in parables. So that way, those who were not ready to receive the gospel would just be like, what a great story. I'm going to go to the market now and like keep it moving. (laughs) And everybody else would be like, wow, that was very insightful. That was very deep. And then they would learn. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Beautiful. 
So I do want to share a few more points. I found a very fascinating article. Um, I already mentioned it in the Mountain Eagle. It's an article written by Ben Godwin, and it's titled Eight Reasons Jesus Preached in Parables. So he said, parables illustrate the invisible or spiritual world by using analogies from the visible or natural world. Scholars differ on the exact number of parables Jesus told, though. So he goes on to clearly give those eight reasons, and I thought we could skim over them because I really thought they were pretty cool. All right, so the first reason that Jesus gave them, uh, spoken parables, he did it to fulfill prophecy. So he fulfilled every prophecy about his life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. So there had been prophecies about him teaching in parables and had to do that so the next one was to reveal truth so the mysteries of the kingdom are contained in the parables of the kingdom like we explained the secrets are hidden from those who don't really have the eyes to see or the ears to hear like we just shared parables open our eyes to deeper insights into christ and his kingdom and give us a greater glimpse into the spiritual realm right for three is he does it to conceal truth so as tracy said not everyone was intended or going to understand Christ's message. He skillfully used his parables to throw curveballs, basically, and confuse those who are not open to the truth. Parables have a unique way of withdrawing the light from those who love darkness. They have an element of mystery, forcing the listener to meditate on them to fully fathom their meaning. The casual listener is then left baffled hearing this superficial story, but failing to grasp the underlying truths conveyed. All right, the next one is to illustrate truth. Parables provide examples of how truth applies to everyday life. When a lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? He responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan. In it, Christ redefined the term neighbor as any person of any race who is in need, not just a person who lives nearby, and he showed how true neighbors treat others. And we're going to go into the Good Samaritan a little bit later, so put a pin in that. All right, so moving on to number five, he spoke in parables to make truth relevant and practical. So it's believed that around 25% of the Bible is comprised of precepts, laws, and raw truths, whereas the other 75% consists of stories of real people that demonstrate how truth applies to real life, everyday situations. The stories in the Bible have been preserved for our instruction and inspiration. The reason the common people heard Jesus gladly was because he brought complex spiritual truth down to their level by using terms they could easily relate to. So he spoke their lingo when he compared God's kingdom to farming, to fishing, to cooking, shepherding, and agriculture. And the next one is to captivate people's attention. Jesus avoided dry, dull sermons on the nuances of the law. Instead, he told interesting stories that captured people's attention and imagination. Christ conveyed his message in a way that fascinated his followers and confounded his critics. Exactly. And leading into the next one, he did it to enable his audience to retain his message. So not only did he capture their attention, but then he could help them remember. It's because it's so much easier to remember a story rather than facts and data. Parables create mental pictures that help us to retain their message. So Jesus' parables are still with us 2,000 years later because people could recall and record them in detail for our benefit. And the last one is to expose his enemies' wrong motives. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus included the older brother to rebuke the Pharisees for the holier-than-thou attitude that they had towards sinners. 
which we'll also go into a little bit later. All right. So as I said, we do want to be able to relate these parables to today. So we're not always going to be walking on a dusty road where we find someone falling on the road. We're not going to always be in debtor's prison, hopefully, things like that. So we wanted to make sure that they're especially relevant to us in this modern day and age with technology and especially as single adults in the church. We're not going to be able to go through all of them, clearly, because as we said, people and scholars still debate on exactly how many there are. I found at least a minimum of 15 while going through our research. Um, we, I started to try and list them all out, and then it, it, was, it was too much. We would be here forever. We're just going to be going over the main ones and do our best to correlate them to today. And we'll be mainly highlighting those that Jesus Christ shared during his lifetime. Thus, everything found in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we picked eight to go through today, so we're going to do our best to dive right into all of them. We are beginning our first parable is Parable of the Sower. So you can find this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, as well as Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, and Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 11. So on the, on the shorter ones, we'll share the scriptures. On the longer ones, we'll just be paraphrasing them. So this one's pretty short, so we'll go ahead and dive in, which read, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them, devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. What is the story basically about, Tracy? So basically, it's about a sower and their seeds. Um, some of the seeds didn't get any root, or they fell among bad plants, and so they just died. Um, others found healthy ground and they had room to grow and then they were able to bring forth a bunch of fruit and had various results with those fruits but overall it was good fruit very nice all right so we do have one of these opportunities in the scriptures where jesus actually explains what the parable is about so we can go through luke chapter 8 verses 11 through 15 where he explains that the seed is the word of god those that were by the wayside are they that hear the words, but are quick to be tempted by the devil and forget the word. Those that are on the rock are they which hear the word, receive it joyfully, and yet have no soil to build roots, so they wither away. Those that fell among the thorns are choked with the cares of the world, so they bring forth no fruits of the gospel. But those who are on the good ground are those who have a pure, honest heart and bring forth fruits of the gospel with patience. It's not common with the parables that Christ explains exactly what the meaning of the parable is right after. So that's why we wanted to highlight this because I know from our own study of this episode, like everything that we found either came from like our previous knowledge of the parable or from like New Testament manuals or like deeper study of it. But this is the only one where the Lord straight up says, this is what I mean when I say these things. So it was really cool to see that difference. Exactly. All right. So how can we correlate it to today? 
So clearly we want to be of those on the good ground. We want to have pure, honest hearts and bring forth fruits of the gospel with patience, right? So we have to consider how we can parallel ourselves with those of seeds. Seeds require good soil, water, sunlight, weeding, and constant nurturing effort. This is our opportunity then that we need to be like that seed and to cultivate, especially our our seed of faith. We need to plant it in good ground, meaning we need to plant it with an open heart that desires to learn, to repent, and to change. After planting the seed, we have to be able and willing to water it and give it sunlight, which means things like we need to study the scriptures, we need to pray on a semi-regular basis, and we need to make sure that we are repenting of our sins. So if we do that, our testimonies are going to grow and we will produce the good fruits of the gospel. The seed won't wither away and die, nor will it be choked by thorns or the cares of the world. So I think there's a lot that we can do to correlate this to today as we do our best to cultivate our own spirituality. So we're definitely in a very peculiar place, um, especially for like the last 12, 13 months since the pandemic started. It's given us an opportunity to see how we really want to be growing that spirituality for ourselves when we're not able to go to the temples, when we are not um, able to go to church, or if we're not feeling comfortable enough to go to church in a pandemic things like that. There's a lot that we can be doing to be taking care of our state of faith. Exactly. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with the, by their fruits, you shall know them. Because again, like the savior specifically talks about how like some of the seeds that he planted just kind of fell off the wayside and they didn't bring forth any fruit. And so if you are planting your seed of faith, we'll say, then you will be able to, if you're planting it in a good place, like in your heart and you're working on it, you will see those good fruits of the gospel and you'll see yourself bearing good fruits as a human too. So it all, it all ties together. Exactly. It does. Okay. And then one last note, I was thinking about this, um, after like we'd already prepared our notes and everything is on my mind, how, the verses end with other seeds brought forth good fruit, some of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And it made me remember, or it pointed out to me that even if we've only produced one good fruit out of all of our growth, that's still good fruit. We don't need to worry about the numbers so much. As long as we are as long as we keep growing, as long as we are personally doing our best to grow our spirituality then one good fruit is going to be more than enough. We don't need to be competing with ourselves or anyone else about trying to bring about an extraordinary amount of results. We just need to be working and focusing on our growth. Exactly. The Lord cares more about your effort than he does about your results. All right. So the next one is my favorite parable. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And because this one is so long, we are not going to read the scriptures. So I'm going to give you a summary of the story. So basically, a man who owns a vineyard goes out to his front gate and hires laborers to work in his vineyard for a penny a day. They agree and they go forth to work. A couple hours later, he returns to the gate and hires a few other people, offering them the same pay, a penny a day to which they agree and they go forth to work. The man does this two more times at the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He hires workers for the same price and they all agree and they go to work. 
At the 11th hour, the man goes to the gate and hires the last few workers and offers them the same price to which they all happily agree and they go to work. When the time for him to pay everyone comes around, the people who were hired first, first thing in the morning, argued because they are paid the same wage as the people he hired at the 11th hour. The man chastens them because they agreed to work for the pay and he can do what he wants with his money. And then he says that he will choose the first last and the last first in the end. This parable can be taken in two ways. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's a little confusing, I know, but it can be taken two ways. So one way is in the like scriptural historical context of this time in the New Testament. So we know that Christ originally called first the Jews to come and listen to him and to learn from him. And he called the Gentiles last. But in the time of his second coming, it will be flipped. He will be calling the Gentiles first and he will be calling the Jews last because the Gentiles were the ones who were more ready to accept his gospel and his teachings and change. And the Jews were not. The other way this can be taught is I feel more connected to this way, um, which is that no matter what time the Lord calls his servants, he will treat them just as well as he's treated the others. No one is more important, worth more, or valued higher than anyone else. We are all the same in the Lord's eyes. Okay, that's definitely the way that I've been trying to look at it because... Okay, so it took me a very long time to understand this particular parable. It used to really annoy me because I saw it as like in the capitalistic kind of view where it's like he's not being fair to his people. Like they all deserve the same amount of pay, like yada, 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 you know. It took me a long time to realize that it could be seen in in any other way. And the way I try to look at it now is kind of like a merge of both of those ways where it's like, we're all going to labor in different ways and in, with different struggles that are going to be harder or not as hard as, as compared to others. But at the end of the day, we all get to celebrate because we all get paid. And it's being able to actually get to that end point is the thing that matters most. Exactly. And I think Elder Holland gave a talk where he highlighted this parable specifically. And he said, like, just imagine being one of those workers waiting outside the gate. Like, if you didn't work, you could not feed your family that day. And so he's like, just think of it from like the New Testament perspective. You're one of those 11th hour laborers and you're seeing everyone get picked before you and everyone is going to be able to make a penny a day for their day's labor. And you're stuck out there waiting and hoping and praying that maybe he'll change his mind and maybe he'll let you come in and work. And then for that last hour, literally the 11th hour, he goes, you know what? Come on in, come work. I'll get you the pay. Like imagine how grateful you would still feel as like one of those 11th hour laborers. So oh, that's interesting. I'll have to look up that talk, but it's a really good one. Yes. Nice. So. For today's correlation, this is my favorite parable because it's become more significant to me within the last few years because it's reminded me that no matter what the Lord's timetable is with delivering blessings to you that you are seeking in this life, that he's not penalizing you for it getting to you later than other people. So if we think about this as like single adults and relate it to marriage, Sometimes we feel like those laborers at the gate who are like sitting at the 11th hour waiting and nothing is coming. And we've seen the like 9 a.m.ers, the 
nooners, the 3 p.m.ers, the 6 p.m.ers going and like grabbing their spouses and going off and having a grand old time. And we're all just sitting at the gate like, well, cool, I guess we just have to sit here then, you know, kind of feeling like crap. Yeah. But the 11th hour, the Lord comes in and he delivers, you know, that partner for us, whether in this life or the next life, I don't really care which time it happens. I'm just saying for for analogy's sake, (laughs) delivers that spouse. And then we go off and we can celebrate and we can do these joyful things in our lives that we might not have been able to do as single people. So what we can learn from this example specifically is that it doesn't so much matter the timetable of when the Lord is delivering this blessing to you, whether it's early in life or later in life. And it's not because he values other people more than he values you. He gives liberally to all of his children and he loves all of us equally. He will deliver those blessings to you when the time is right and when he sees fit. So it could be at nine in the morning. It could be at noon. It could be at the three o'clock hour. It could be at the sixth hour. It could be at the 11th hour. It doesn't really matter when, but just know that the promise is sure that he will deliver the blessing no matter what. I like that. All right. We're going to move on to our third parable, the parable of the king's son or the great banquet, um, which is actually very fascinating. I read it and then I was like, I don't like this. Um, but <laughs> then I started like analyzing it a little bit more and now I'm just like, okay, this is actually pretty cool. So let's dive you in. You think that you would like this one with our like true crime <laughs> life and everything. Right. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, all right. So you can find this in Matthew 22, as well as there is a very similar version in Luke 14. Okay, so the story is about how there's a king whose son is getting married. So clearly he hosts a great banquet, something for everyone to celebrate. So when it's ready, he calls out to everyone he is invited to come. But they won't. They just won't. So he tries to call again. He calls a second time. He's like, hey, guys, I'm having a party. Like, look at all this rich food. Look at all these party favors. Let's go. But those who were invited made light of the invitation. Like it goes through like all these excuses of like, okay, some of them are returning to work. Some of them go to their homes and kill their servants. <laughs> they, they're just like, nah, nah, and doing all sorts of dumb things. So the king learns about this and he's like, you guys suck. So he's angry and he sends his soldiers to destroy the murderers and burn their cities. So he's like, you can't do this. Me, every time I throw a party. Oh, you don't want to come? I'm just going to burn down your house instead. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that's the first half. Second half of the story is what the king does next. So he's killed and gotten rid of the people who basically just did not want to come. And so now he's like, okay, well, I still have a party. I still need someone to come. So he goes to his servants. He tells his servants that those who who were invited are not worthy. So he tells the servants to go to the highways, go out, go anywhere you can and invite whoever is out there, both bad and good. So they, the servants ran up the people. Everyone starts flooding into the, into the gates. Like it's, it's a great party. Everything starts up. Then the king goes out to his party. He's thrilled. There's people everywhere. Everything's going well until he comes to someone who is not dressed in wedding clothes. He asks why they weren't dressed, and the man is just, he's frozen, he's done, he's like, I don't know, just like, uh. And so 
Without a good excuse, the king tosses this man out into outer darkness. The end. Honestly, this story is hilarious because if you think about it, like the king's just gone on a murderous, arson-filled rampage and then uh, he's done and he's like, well, there's still a party to be had, guys. Let's get it together. Let's uh, right? Let's have a party. What does the son think? Is this normal behavior for his father? Is he just like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm staying right out of this. It's okay. I don't have to get married today. It's fine. I don't uh, I just can't even. It's so funny. (laughs) I think this story is hilarious. Anyways, so what's this whole thing about, Kaylee? What's the point of this story? So I went onto Wikipedia for my answers because that's a great resource, y'all. It says, the classical interpretation of Matthew's version of the parable is that the king is God, the king's son is Jesus himself, the original invited guests are the Jews, the king's servants who are attacked are God's prophets, and the new guests are the Gentiles and other unworthies. So Matthew's version additionally suggests that even some of the newly invited guests are not worthy of sitting at the table if they are not wearing a proper wedding garment. What exactly the wedding garment symbolizes is not generally agreed upon among Christian theologians. Some commentators suggest that the wedding clothes or garment is in this parable were provided by the host, but this is unlikely to be the intended implication. Augustine of Hippo interpreted, interpreted the garment as symbolizing charity, an interpretation not widely accepted even in medieval times. Martin Luther suggested that the garment represented Christ himself. John Calvin felt these controversies in interpreting the meaning of the wedding garment were overblown. Christ intended only to state that the Lord calls us on the express condition of our being renewed by the Spirit, and that in order to our remaining permanently in his house, we must put off the old man with his pollutions and lead a new life. That you see, that was the piece I'd been missing. I was like, okay, like this is a funny story, but why is a man who is probably too poor to afford anything getting kicked out for this? And so these ideas of an explanation kind of piece better together um what I was missing that there's a reason that the man was not invited to stay any longer. He was kicked out for a very specific reason. He was not ready, he was not worthy to be among the party. Others in his same situation were permitted to say they were worthy, but he was doing something wrong. So it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like what we were talking about last week, like checking off the physical list of, yes, yes, I'm physically at church. Yes, I'm physically, you know, in Sunday school. I'm not drinking coffee. I'm Mm -hmm. keeping, quote unquote, keeping the commandments, but then like, not doing anything that will strengthen his faith and strengthen his spirit and improve his heart. So he's just checking the list, but not repenting, not changing, not growing, Mm -hmm. not developing his faith, Mm -hmm. which makes him unqualified to be in the presence of the Lord. Right. Right. Well, so yeah, so that's one of the ideas. And I I did like the one that was the first idea about how he how he could have been offered the garb and had refused it, Um, which is like, okay, we're going to get we're going to get opportunities in this lifetime to do good things to um, we're given the opportunity to believe we have the agency. But if we refuse these good things, then we're not going to be worthy um, of everything else. 
I like it that it's taking me some time to get used to the idea, which is very interesting because usually I'm just like, yay, parables. And I was trying to look for more information on this exact parable in LDS literature, but there's very little. Weird. And I was very disappointed. I mean, there's other parables that we aren't going to discuss today because we still are trying to figure out what some of them mean and we don't have the time for them. I mean, I know. Um, but I just want us to talk about all the parables and I want us to understand all the parables. I want to make sense of everything. So how can we apply this to today, to our lives now, Kaylee? All right. So today's correlation is for this parable is about making sure that we are regularly making the good decisions um, that you mentioned that we're doing everything that we can within our knowledge and means to to follow Christ that we are accepting the good things as they come that we are um, that we are helping those around us uh, we need to be considering how we're doing this in our lives if we're living the gospel we need to consider if we're honoring our covenant if we're repenting we need to consider if we are studying the scriptures and trying to build our testimonies this is how we're dressing ourselves for the wedding we need to be doing what we can as singles in the church as as anyone in the church in any type of relationship or as any person in any type of relationship not in the church we need to be doing the best that we can to be good people if you want to be in the church then if you want to be drawing close to god like this then you need to be dressing yourself for this hypothetical wedding situation or else we're not going to be welcome yeah what we do on a regular basis is going to have us prepared for the startling moment when things suddenly change, when the second coming arrives, when, you know, when, when we're we given... get hit by a bus and we die and yes. we suddenly have to go. <laughs> exactly. So we need to be very mindful of our actions of what we're doing while we have this time afforded to us. Yeah. So it's a very interesting parable. That is. It gets, there's lots of layers to it. It's very, it's a deep one. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to a very well-known parable. Yes. This is the parable of the 10 virgins, which is found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. As we know, 10 virgins go out to meet the bridegroom with their lamps. They waited and they slept for the bridegroom to come out and welcome them into the party once the festivities were ready, but it took a lot longer than expected. At midnight, it was announced that the bridegroom was coming, but that was when five of them ran out of oil and they asked for help and for the others' oil. The five who were prepared and had plenty of oil could not share because they only had enough for themselves, so the other five had to run out to the marketplace to go buy more. While they were gone, the bridegroom opened the doors and let in the five who had enough oil. The doors were shut by the time the other five returned. They knocked on the doors and they asked for them to be opened unto them, but the bridegroom told them, I know you not. I feel like we use this parable in like every Sunday school lesson ever. Honestly, especially in young women's. Yeah. yeah, this has always been like the <laughs> parable that has been told all the time. So... Mm -hmm. Christ was trying to teach us that this is about the kingdom of God. It says so in the very first verse. Um, this is about our time on earth and the plan of salvation. We have a very finite amount of time on this earth to prepare to meet God. And that's literally why we are here. If you remember in Alma, this life is the time to prepare to meet God. Our life is a probationary period. 
he is saying that we have to be ready to meet him at any time, just like Kaylee shared from this last parable. We are like the virgins preparing for Jesus Christ with his second coming, which makes Christ the bridegroom. We have that choice and the responsibility to be either group of virgins, either the five who were prepared with their oil or the five who were not prepared with no oil. Now, obviously, we aren't going to be bringing oil to Jesus in after we die. Here, this is a not a can of vegetable oil. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so to correlate this to today, this is about our spiritual growth and our preparation. So how are we preparing to meet our heavenly parents? Are we putting in the effort that we need to? In Elder Bednar's October 2012 general conference talk called Converted Unto the Lord, he further explains today's implications of this parable by saying, quote, These inspired women were not describing a business transaction. Rather, they were emphasizing our individual responsibility to keep our lamp of testimony burning and to obtain ample supply of the oil of conversion. This precious oil is acquired one drop at a time. No shortcut is available. No last-minute flurry of preparation is available, end quote. I just had a thought. Okay, so you have to have the right amount of oil. If it's too little, then your light will go out. If you try to put in too much, you're still going to put it out. It's going to overflow, and then you will have made a mess, and then you will have wasted everything. It's just like a little light bulb moment, so thank you for giving me that. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Now, in a way... We do need to point out that the five foolish virgin, virgins still came with their lamps and they were dressed for the event. So they were halfway ready. They put in minimal effort. Um, unfortunately, that was not enough. So like we just talked about, like if you are just going through the checklist of going to church and keeping up appearances because that's what you know you need to do, you're not bringing forth any of the fruits of the gospel. You are like the five foolish virgins who have a lamp, but there is nothing inside. It is a lamp, yes, you have one, but it can't do anything. It's just a hollow shell of a thing. There's nothing, it has no value at this point. No oil, no genie. Has nothing. nothing. So we have to focus on our spiritual growth and development, and it's up to us individually to take these steps to grow closer to our heavenly parents. No one can just give us a testimony. No one can give us a better relationship with our heavenly parents. It's completely up to us to do that. And similarly, this parable teaches us that it's not our responsibility to give a loved one a testimony or knowledge of the gospel in the hopes of them gaining eternal life with you. We've talked about this so many times before in this podcast that if you have a parent or a friend or a sibling or a loved one who has decided to leave the church, you should not feel responsible for their decision to leave. And you should not feel responsible or guilty about the state of their eternal soul because it's not up to you what happens to them. That is up to the Lord. That's right. Yeah, you can't put oil in their lamps for that. Exactly. It's not your place to tell them your testimony and what you know in the hopes that they will know and have that same testimony. That's not how it works. You should 
love, support, and help them understand the differences between doctrine and, and popular belief, but you shouldn't feel like it's up to you to get them a relationship with the Savior. It's up to them. It's not up to you. And I think the five wise virgins understood that because they were like, we told you, you need to do this. Go do what you have to do to make it happen. I can't give you of mine. Otherwise, I can't get where I need to go. You, it's up to you. And I think it was really great to have them illustrate that boundary, too, of them saying, like, it's not my fault you weren't prepared. That's all on you, bud. You got to go do what you got to do to be prepared. So remember that. It's not your fault if someone decides to leave or to choose differently. You are not responsible for them. You are not responsible for their choices. They are responsible for them, and they are responsible for their choices. Exactly. All right, moving on to the parable of the talents. Uh, that one is found mainly in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So, story goes how a man decides to take a trip, and before leaving, he leaves behind talents or money for three of his servants. To one servant, he gave five talents. To the second servant, he gave two talents. And to the third servant, he gave one talent. So the, this man leaves, and then his servants started to work. The first servant with five talents went out, traded and worked, and earned five more talents. The second servant with two talents also went out, traded and worked, and earned two more talents. The third servant with one talent, however, dug in the earth to hide the money. At last, the man returns and asks his servants what they have done. He rewards the two servants once they have shared their earnings by saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. To the third servant, however, when he finds the dirty coin in his hands, the man calls his servant slothful and takes his talent away from him to give to the first talent. When you're playing with money, don't put it in the dirt. <laughs> don't put it in the earth. <laughs> now, I go a little bit more into that. <laughs> uh, He's right, teaching so... us not to be stingy like Scrooge McDuck and having a pool hey. full of coins. He says, go forth and spend those coins. Don't bury your gold. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is another very well-known one, so we'll keep things pretty basic. It is important to note, though, once again, this parable does start out in the scriptures by saying, the kingdom of God is a man who had three servants, la di da di da So Jesus was saying here that we've been given an opportunity to live, to serve, and to work, that we need to be taking action and doing more while we are here. We've been given we've been given an opportunity to to live, to thrive, and to do something. And so we're not supposed to just take what we have and do nothing. We're supposed to do something. All right. So the man, the ruler, is God who gave us his children the talents. So we can see these as our skills, our blessings, and more. The important thing here is that we are able to use this time on this earth to do something with them. We can't just let them waste away and hide them from the world. We need to produce good things in our lives. That can be anything from sharing the gospel to being kind to people to serving others 
teaching others how to do things of any kind of skill, or developing more talents and skills for ourselves and our own satisfaction. Either way, we need to use the time and talents we have been given by the Lord to do something. Now, we've had a good bit of a break with the pandemic, and I know that there have been jokes and serious issues with how hard the last year has been for us in many ways. We don't need to feel forced to act and to do things when we are struggling. There's been a lot of people that say, like, if you haven't been using this time to learn a new skill or to learn it, like, gain a new talent, then you've been wasting your time. And that's not the case whatsoever. No. No, you don't always need to be, you know, losing weight or earning a new skill or starting a side hustle. This is not what we're saying at all. We do think, however, that this time has been very crucial at least for the two of us, to reevaluate our priorities and our spiritual foundations, which we've talked about since literally this time last year. We know that for us, this time has been very crucial for our own personal and spiritual development. And that's not exactly how everyone has felt this pandemic, and that's fine, and we're not critical of that. But we also want you to know that like, we don't know when the pandemic is going to be done, So don't put things off until the pandemic is over to finally start making changes in your life. Start where you are. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today, so to speak. (laughs) Exactly. There's always going to be something that we can do. We're not saying, we're just not saying that you have to go and do everything. If all you can do today is make your bed and feed yourself, then that's great. Maybe tomorrow you can do all of that and maybe add a shower. Maybe you'll do part of that the day after and maybe go shopping or read a book, something like that. You start small and you work your way through, like the way you work with your comfort zone, you take one step at a time and continue to grow yourself in whatever way works best for you. All we're saying is that, yes, you should be taking the time to consider your spiritual growth and to be doing what you can reasonably um, to be making progress. Yeah. All right, on to my favorite parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is found mainly in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. This is the story of a man who was walking down the road, traveling when he was attacked by thieves. He is robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. A priest sees him lying there, ignores him, and walks away. A Levite sees him, ignores him, and walks away. Finally, a Samaritan sees him, picks him up, carries him on his shoulders to an inn where he binds his wounds and pays for the innkeeper to take care of him until he returns. The last few verses read, as Jesus said, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. So the principle Jesus was teaching here is that the greatest commandments we are given Um, answered by Jesus himself before, is that we are to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is him answering the question of who is our neighbor, everyone, and how do we help them? So this is my favorite one. It's something that I have begun to love over time. Um, I took it for granted as a kid growing up um, because I was like, okay, my neighbors are the people I know and trust and are close to. Like Those are the type of people I know that I can help. 
as you can see, I clearly missed the point. I don't know how. <laughs> um, but I was make I was limiting that circle a lot. I've been starting to put into a better perspective of who really is my neighbor. So I want to share a quote from Linda K. Burton's 2014 general conference talk, I Was a Stranger. That talk really helped me begin to see it right. Um, okay, so she talks about how we are meant to help those around us, everyone. We're supposed to love them, help them, mourn with them, do what we can to help them. Yes, they are the people we are close to, but they're also the people who are not close to us, those who are so different from us. This includes everyone from undocumented people, the sex workers, the LGBTQ plus community, the non-believers, and everyone else. We are meant to love them and actively help them. The fallen man could not talk, thus could not ask for help. So you see a fallen figure on the road and you're going to think at the very least, well, that's not good. The next connection we need to make is let me do what I can to help them. We have a responsibility to help our brothers and sisters and everyone in between. Even when someone isn't able to ask for help, we need to be ready to help those people. We need to be aiding them in whatever way we reasonably can and loving them because they are our family. They are our neighbor. I'm just very passionate about this now. It's very true. Mm -hmm. So... The next one we've combined into three because they all have the same moral. Yes. So the three parables are the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which are in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 32. So the stories are as follows. The first story is how a shepherd will leave his 99 sheep to seek out the single one who is lost. And then the imagery of Christ or the shepherd carrying the sheep who is lost on his shoulders returns and they seek out their friends now that all the sheep are safe together again and they throw a big party. The second story is about a woman who loses one piece of silver out of her ten. She lights a candle, she sweeps, and she seeks diligently until it is found. When it is found again, she seeks out her friends to rejoice with her over this victory and another party is had. And the third story is that of the prodigal son. So the second son of a man wants his inheritance to spend it while he is young. He goes out and he buys nice things and has fun until he runs out of money. After wasting his money with riotous living, he began to be in want during a famine. He finds himself eating with the pigs and realizing that even the servants in his father's home have more than he does at this moment. So he finally decides to go home where he asks to be a servant. Instead, his return is with a joyous occasion to his father. His father wraps him in a hug and says that they will have a feast because once he was lost and now he is found. And then in verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Like we had talked about at the beginning of this episode, they do share the bit about the older son who stayed, was good, did all that his father wanted him to, and never got a party, never got any sort of celebration or recognition. And he was like, what the heck, man? Like, I've been here for you. Don't you care about me too? And the father is like, he was gone. Like, yes, you've been here and I love you and I have continued to give you love and encouragement and everything. But he was gone, and we need to recognize the fact that he was gone, and now he's back. And we can be happy because we're all together again. So just had to add in that little bit. I love that. And I 
where was I read? I I swear I read like one a person who made a point about how they'd add how the story added the eldest son because that's the way we're not supposed to act. We're not supposed to be jealous. We're not supposed to be like we're not supposed to be competing. We're not supposed to be jealous. We're all given the opportunity to be baptized or to come unto the Lord. We're we're all meant to grow at our own pace mm-hmm. and to to put a focus on on the negativity is not the way to go. You know, for a while, I definitely understood why the oldest <laughs> brother was like annoyed. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you have siblings, you know, like yes. if you were the sibling that has always been there and always been like consistent and faithful and kind and helping your parents, you are kind of treated like you don't matter. (laughs) And then suddenly the other sibling who has been off doing God only knows what suddenly decides to come back and everyone's so happy that the younger one is back or the other sibling is back and everyone is great again because the other sibling is back. Meanwhile, you're like, what the heck? Like, am I worthless to you? Like, do I mean anything to you? So like, from that perspective, I totally understand it because it's hard. Like sometimes you will see other people going off, making terrible choices and their lives are still wonderful and they are getting all of the blessings that you desperately want. Meanwhile, you're sitting back there being faithful, keeping your covenants and doing what you should be doing. And you're like, why does my life still suck? Like, why is this happening? But the important thing is that you are not lost to the Lord. And that's what the Lord is trying to teach us here in these three parables. Yes, you have been consistent. You've been faithful. You've been doing all of these great things. And he is so happy that you are doing all of those great things. However, anyone who was previously lost to him or didn't know him or knew him once and then left him and suddenly found him again, the Lord is happy because another one of his children has finally decided to come back to him and he wants them to be welcomed back into the fold. So to apply it to today, my mission president always had us focus on rescue the one, which My mission president always called back to this parable of the lost sheep. So rescuing the one means that you are willing to put forth all of that effort, care, and love into finding someone who was hurt by and left by the church or like cast off into the side. Sometimes that means that they won't come back to the church, but that they'll at least recognize that you love them and that someone who is in the church recognizes their pain what they've been through, and is willing to be a part of their life. And the Lord sets forth these parables because he desperately wants all of his children to feel like they belong with him. He wants everyone to feel of his love for them. He wants everyone to know that they matter to him. And what we need to remember is that we can be that person reaching out in love and care for the people who have lost their way or the people who don't know the Lord whatsoever. We don't have to hyper-focus on bringing them back to full activity in the church. That's not what we should be focusing on. We should just be focusing on doing all that we can to love them and to let them feel the love that God has for them through our love for them. 
And that's what the Lord is trying to teach us out of these parables. Yeah, I feel like there's always been such a focus on like, okay, well, as long as they're coming to church, then they're in a good place. And that's not always, that's that's not the case. There's going to be great people who just aren't comfortable at church right now, whether it's because of the pandemic or for another reason. And then there's going to be people who are coming to church all the time, but aren't really paying attention, who aren't really listening or really want to be there. We need to be just focusing on how we can help people and love them no matter where they are and no matter what they want, whether we have to love them from a distance or whether we can walk alongside them on this journey of life. We just need to do what we can and we need to stop focusing on um, complaining or anything and just try to love each other. All right, guys, one more parable. It is the parable of the good shepherd. And that's our only one that we're sharing from John chapter. It's in chapter 10 verses six through 25. So this is very expansive in a few ways. And I really enjoyed reading these verses. So Jesus first describes being the door of the sheep where thieves and robbers come by, but the sheep are safe behind the door and they're unaware of any danger. For those who do come through the door, they shall be saved and put out to pasture where they want to be and have all their needs met. Thieves who seek to come through the door will only come to destroy. This then modifies the the analogy then modifies into Jesus saying that a hireling and how they will run when there is danger because this person is only there for the money and there to do the bare minimum. Whereas a shepherd will stay and give his life for his sheep. As the good shepherd, Jesus Christ cares and knows each of his sheep. So this is just one of my favorites. I have really come to love all of the the imagery and the paintings that have come together with Jesus as the good shepherd carrying the sheep, being with the sheep, and so on. So today's correlation, if you have not to listen to our atonement series, you definitely should. Um, you hear a lot more about us talking about how Jesus Christ has done the hard work for us to get back to our heavenly parents by dying for us and suffering for our sins. The analogy here is a reminder for us to know that we are not alone. Someone has felt our pain and suffering. Even the pain of loneliness is understood by our Savior. We can find companionship, comfort, and hope in knowing that he has felt our pain and can help us grow closer to our heavenly parents. We are not alone in our pain or our joy. He's there to protect us. I just realized something. Yes. Okay, with the hireling and the shepherd differences. So if you think about this in the terms of how we know the plan of salvation came to be about, like Lucifer offered to go first. He wanted to be the one and promised that all of us would come back. He was going to be the hireling who would do the bare minimum. He was just there for the glory and for the money, and he would run away at the first sign of danger. And he would abandon us and leave us for dead. Oh, that's good. And then Christ truly is the good shepherd because he knew that he would be able to come, stay, give his life for us, his sheep, and do everything he could to make sure that we had the help that we needed to get through this life. Yes. Oh, that's a good connection, Tracy. I realized that when you were talking about the hireling, I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. A new connection. Good. Yes. That's good. How about that? Yes. I don't feel like I've heard that before. And I feel like that should be like the most obvious thing because you can't compare Jesus Christ to like just 
another mortal. No, you have to you compare him to someone like Satan because I like that. That's wild. Oh. Okay. Revelation. The revelation. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it comes when you least expect it, guys. Sure does. Oh. Anyway. That's so great. So that's awesome. To wrap this up, this whole episode, President Howard W. Hunter said of Christ's parables, quote, They are so simple a child can understand them, yet they are profound enough for the sage and philosopher. Each of the parables spoken by the Savior seems to teach a principle or give an admonition regarding the attributes necessary to qualify for exaltation, end quote. I love that. Okay, one, I have to share a quote now too. So in the January 2003 Ensign, there's an article titled Parables of Jesus. Everyone needs to check it out. It's written by Frank F. Judd Jr. He says, the master teacher's parables show both the justice and mercy of God at work among those who hear him. Two men may hear the same words, wrote Elder James James E. Talmadge. One of them listens in indolence and indifference, the other with active mind intent on learning all that the words can possibly convey. And having heard, the diligent man goes straightway to do the thing is commended to him, while the careless one neglects and forgets. The one is wise, the other foolish. The one has heard to his eternal profit, the other to his everlasting condemnation. That is good. Okay, so as we reviewed that and all the parables that we've discussed today, it's important to note how the parables of Christ are a prime example of how to teach profound truths of the gospel in simple, easy-to-understand terms. The Savior taught to give clear examples of gospel principles in his time, and we hope that the way we've explained them today helps you can you to understand the parables and their meaning for today and how how they can affect you and what you can do about them. So we know that there are many more parables that we could have covered, but we we didn't want to do another two plus hour long episode for this. So we had some revelation, some great insights, and we strongly recommend you as well to go over the parables for yourself, to take some time to review them, um, as well as those that we didn't share. See what you can do to understand the principles within them there is a very good chance that you will find a revelation as well. You just need to take the time to study them, seek understanding from the Lord, and then seek a way to apply the teachings you gain from these parables. We promise you will not regret doing so. Just in this episode alone, like you could see, you could hear us like gathering knowledge as we were going along. (laughs) This will happen for you too. So if you needed someone to tell you to do something today, if you need to get that gumption, we're here, we're telling you, read your scriptures, read about the parables, and see how you can apply them to your life, because it will be amazing. Honestly, yeah. Amen to everything that you just said. Basically, we want to remind you that everything that we share is stuff that we're learning along this journey of life, too. We are constantly learning, and we're constantly trying to improve ourselves along the way, And so we hope that you guys take time to review what we've shared, to think about it, and to find answers for yourself. If the interpretations that we gave about each of these parables doesn't jive exactly right for you, I mean, that's okay. That's what personal revelation is for. You guys can take time to investigate it further, discuss it with the Lord, and figure out what the truth is of all of our words. The onus is once again on you. 
to find the truth for yourselves. Yes, please. Also, while you're doing that, please feel free to share any of your insights with us. If you strongly disagree with anything that we've said, you can also share that with us. We just want to hear from you guys. Yeah, we are ready to hear whatever you have to share with us. Thanks for joining us again this week, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.